0: You know, I am so happy that we finally get to spend some alone time together. Yes, I agree. I know. it's just been crazy busy lately. Um, But I've been thinking, we've been together for a few years now, and there's still so much I don't know about you. Okay. I mean, do you like roller coasters? Do you prefer a sunset or sunrise? Do you like Pepsi or Coke? I mean, thinking about it, I don't even know how your family handles conflict. I mean, don't you want to know more about me, too? I mean, I don't even know if you like cheese on your burger. So what's with all these questions? Come on, y'all give it up for Corey and Cherish. The line that gets me even know you like cheese on your burger. Lord, help us. So we're in, we're in a collection here. For those of you, you're new here, this is your first time with us. Uh, we're here, uh, we're in a collection uh, called uh, Can We Talk? And it's a collection, some of y'all are about to sing it, I heard it. Uh, but it <laughs> But it's a collection talking about uh, relationships. And so last week, we kicked it off with this conversation called uh, The Lies About Singleness. And we just wanted to expose some of the lies about singleness, lies that married people put on those who are single and lies that single people end up believing. And the bottom line was this, that because you live a single life doesn't mean that you live an unfulfilled life, right? That you can live a life that's full, that's vibrant, that's exciting, Uh, Because you're living in the plans of God for your life. And if you are single, the idea was like, look, your singleness is not a sentence. This is not a prison sentence that you're waiting to get out of. But you can embrace this opportunity and live life to the fullest of what God has for you. And so this week, I'm excited to continue that conversation. And the premise of the collection has been this idea that if you want to get life right, you got to get relationships right. And not just uh, the relationships that we have with, with one another, but relationships of the romantic type. Because I've seen lots of people's lives kind of derailed because of who they chose to date. And so if you want to get life right, you've got to get relationships right. And to help drive this conversation on today, we're going to come from Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25 Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. So you can flip with me there, scroll with me there, or you can connect here on the screen. And while you're turning there, you may be asking like, yo, so where's Pastor Katie? Because you said that y'all were going to tag team this. And those were the plans. And for what we're going to talk about today, here's one of the other lessons. When you're married, sometimes plans change. Kids get sick. And so then you got to make an adjustment. So this is us calling an audible Uh, this morning. And so I'm sorry, you only get me this morning. Stay sitting. I saw somebody leave. I'm joking. But next week, uh, we will be back and tag-teaming together in Jesus' name. But here it is, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It reads this, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to him. Pause. So God took the woman from the rib. So as men, we're not above the women, but women are to stand beside us. So we don't lord over them. We're not this superior thing to them that God called them to walk alongside of us. That he took them from women, woman from our side. Verse 23, the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Verse 25, and Adam, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Come on, let's pray. Father, we're grateful, we're thankful for this moment that we share. Lord, I pray for these next few moments, God, that you open up our eyes, allow us to see what it is that you're showing us. Lord, open up our ears, allow us to hear what you're speaking to us. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, do a work in our heart so that we're able to receive the incorruptible seed that is your word. And may it be planted. May it go deep. And, Lord, may it bring forth a harvest, God. And that's what your word does. It doesn't return to you void. So, Lord, I pray for for these next few moments that we are focused and attentive to what you have to say. And so, Lord, as we always say, we're your servants. Speak, Lord, for we're listening. In Jesus' name. Everybody said Come on, come on. Everybody said amen. amen and amen. So here we are. Katie and I are up on nine years of marriage. We'll celebrate nine years of marriage this year. And time has, has absolutely flown by. It's like literally blinking, and here we are. And I, I had this idea to show you guys some of our engagement photos because we have it. You're lying. We do? Okay. Hold on. Hold on. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> I forgot. Wink, wink. And now and now, the creative team has found these photos. Go ahead. <laughs> there's, there's been a, hold on. There's been a lot of discussion about these photos for the people who have seen them. And they're not bad photos at all. I promise you they're not bad. And I'll explain. You got, you got the photos. You can put them up there. So look at that. So, I mean, the one in the middle is okay, but it's really these over here that get a lot of discussion. And again, there's nothing wrong with what we have on. The only problem that we laugh at now is like, why does it seem like we were ready to give you the traffic update on your ride home (laughs) at 5 o'clock? Like, what's up with the suit and the whole thing coming live on 565? Watch out at exit 8. Like, so we kind of joke on that now. Like, why did we choose to dress in the suit and tie? And please take it. You can take that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You know, so we're coming up on nine years of, of, of marriage. And, you know, I'm not going to stand here and say that we are experts in things. We've just learned together. And we have learned from our experiences, excuse me, in dating and obviously over the last almost nine years, and also the privilege and opportunity that we get to sit with couples in premarital counseling, and then also sit with couples who have already said, I do, and just have some different things to kind of speak through and work through. We've had the privilege of taking our own experiences and listening to the experiences that we've had to sit with people, and we have realized that there are questions that every couple should ask. That there are some things that should be mentioned, some things that should be figured out, some things that should be discussed. And so for the next few moments, I want to speak from that headline, questions that every couple should ask. And so if you're taking notes this morning, you can write that down, questions every couple should ask. And um, I'm looking at the clock, so I'm going to jump right into this thing. Here's the first question that every couple should ask is this. Where are we planting? Where are we planting? That question is a very significant and vital question to ask for every... If you're, if you're dating and if you're already married, that's, that's a question in ways that you still need to discuss. But it's, even if you're single. So if you're single in here this morning, please don't tap out. These are questions... Single in desiring to, to be in a relationship. Let me say it that way. These are questions... To pay attention to, but it's so vital to uh, ask this question: Where are we planting? Because what can happen is we can get lost in each other's eyes, and we can sing all the songs. We can we can start back at one like we Brian McKnight and all this other stuff, but we miss the important thing to ask: Where are we planting? Because we can make the mistake of assuming just because we vibe well together and we connect together and we go well together that our lives are headed in the same direction. And so what happens is we take that assumption, we say yes, we get married, and now we realize, oh, wait a minute, we're not going in the same place. Because here's the thing, you can't find yourself saying, listen, I'm I'm going to be serving the Lord. I'm serving Jesus. I'm I'm serving his church. I'm I'm, I'm giving and I'm praying. I'm fasting. I'm I'm following the way. I'm practicing the way of Jesus. Like my focus is to, to, to plant myself in the life of Jesus, into the person of Jesus. Meanwhile, the person that you are with just kind of looks at like, well, I guess that's your thing. Because what happens oftentimes, family, is when this takes place, is that all throughout the dating phase, all throughout these early moments, the patterns were there. But what happened, we took this mindset of saying, well, that will change once we say I do to each other. That, that, that once, once we're together, like for real, for real, it's all going to switch up and they're, they're going to live this way. They'll be serving. They'll be showing up with me. We'll be reading the Bible together. We, we, we're going to do all these things together. Then the disappointment comes when that doesn't happen. And the problem was because we valued potential over patterns. But this is what I'm trying to tell you this morning. Pay attention to the patterns because the patterns are signs. The patterns are little blues clues giving you insight into where they are. And the trouble comes when we value potential more than patterns. But don't make that mistake. Don't value potential over pattern. Pay attention to the patterns because here's the thing. If marriage is about becoming one and it is, how can you become one if you are planted in two different places? How can you become one if you are planting yourself into the person of Jesus and the other person is planting themselves, you know, in in the world, if you will, or, or in culture? You can't grow and become one you becoming two different people. If you plant yourselves in two different places, you will not build a life together. Instead, you're going to build a life apart from each other. So again, the pivotal question that we must ask and answer this morning is, where are we planting? And let me say that about where are we planting. If both of you are on the same page of where you are planting, you have to, which should be in the person of Jesus. So let's go ahead and, and, and make that clear. It should be planting into the person of Jesus. And if that's where both of you are, you have to pay attention then, well, who am I going to allow to sow into my life? Who's going to sow seeds into my life? Remember last week we talked about that just because they're married doesn't mean that they can give marital advice. That just because they're together doesn't mean you should be receiving counsel from them. And we said that what we should do is find that couple, that, that seasoned couple who have been married for a while and is vibrant and healthy and strong. Why? Because they've been through some things. They've experienced some things, but yet their marriage is strong, healthy, uh, and, 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 and vibrant and exciting. And I'm going to do it again, but shout out to Mr. and Mrs. Johnson who exude that so well. Those are my relationship goals in here this morning. So just because they're married Doesn't mean that they should be sowing into your marriage. And here's another thing. If you're married, you have to be careful with your single friends. Can I go there this morning? Because your single friends are not married. I don't care how close they are, how connected uh, you guys are together. They're not going to be able to have the same perspective that you have as a person who is married. And i take this, I'll use this illustration. Before Isaiah, our first kid, uh, was born, I remember Katie and I saying, I don't understand what all the fuss is about. Sleep is sleep. If the baby wakes up in the middle of the night, you change him, you feed him, you lay him down. If he stays up, it's okay. We can just go back to sleep. <laughs> Foolish, right? <laughs> but here's the thing. We, we could see what, you know, people having kids, and we could see what they went through, but we didn't really know because we didn't have a kid. We didn't have that perspective. So in the same way, our single friends, they can see A married couple, they can see what it looks like, but they don't have that real experience of what it means to be married. And so if you're letting somebody single so into your life, you are setting yourself up for destruction because you don't know their intentions. You don't know their heart. And even if you do, they just don't have the perspective of someone who's married. Are y'all tracking with me this morning? So in the same way that you shouldn't let just because they're married sow into your life, it's the same way you can't let your single friends sow into your life. And I really don't care. This sounds harsh. I really don't care. You know my heart. It doesn't matter if they're saying something good or not, right? You need the right perspective. You need healthy married couples who, are, who can pour into your life. Not your single friends. I don't want to paint the picture that they're single and they're going to say bad things or give you bad advice about your marriage. Not at all. But what I'm saying is you need the perspective of a married couple who, ha- who has a healthy marriage and have stood the test of time. So be careful who you allow to sow into your marriage. And so, thank you. I, I think I will. <laughs> so, the answer to the question, where are we planting, It should is, as we said, is Jesus. But not just planting our life in Jesus. The goal has to be that we want to become like Jesus. So, that's great. We're on the same page. We want to plant our lives in Jesus, but don't stop there. We want to become like Jesus. You know, we just finished the, the collection in, in, in January called Becoming. And the idea was... that that we are becoming like Jesus. And that means we're on this journey of spiritual formation, which means we're being spiritually formed into becoming like Jesus, right? And so that means it's not just we want to plan our lives in Jesus, but we want to become like him. And I moved on, but I feel like I've got to go back to the other thing. What happens when we allow single friends to, to sow into our lives especially of the opposite sex, you got to be careful with that. So we should never be communicating certain things. Like, like, there's not another woman in this world that I should be sharing information to about what is going on between Katie and I. That's, that's just a boundary. That's, that's just not crossed. I don't know. It, it, it's like my sister. It's like we grew up together. I get it. But even have script, how scripture says what we just read, how a man leaves his mother and father and clings to his wife. It's the same way. If y'all grew up together, i like, oh, that's my little sister. That's my big bro. No, 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 no. You're, you're becoming one with your spouse. And so you can't be over here saying, well, this is what they do. This is what they do. And here's the other thing. I'm just going to speak it real to you this morning. Even with my friends who are married. There are things that I just, like I may ask questions like, yo, how did you guys navigate this? But there are things I just don't share. Because we're not going to pull up to the event and you're going to look at my wife talking about, I can't believe you're doing this to my homeboy like that. Because you ain't got no business to look at my wife with any kind of disgrace on your face. That's, That's my wife. But I allow that. If I'm sharing things to you that you don't need to know so I can speak around the situation and get advice for you, but I should never be coming down on my wife to someone else. Are you tracking with me? And so that you're setting the stage for destruction if you do that. Healthy, strong, vital marriages don't just become this thing. You have to work on it. You have to develop it. And the way to develop it, there have to be some things that you say we are absolutely not going to do. You know, when Kate and I started dating, um, I had been through this on-again, off-again relationship that wasn't healthy. And so, yeah, and so when she, when, when she and I got together, or at least started talking, um, I was like, listen... I'm not trying to be weird or anything, but if you're not like, if you don't see that or want this to trend towards marriage, let's go ahead and go our separate separate ways. And then obviously as it began to, and we got engaged and all that stuff, or even before the engagement, I was like, yo, this is it. I'm not doing this again. I understand there may be some of us in the room who have walked through divorce and things of that nature. God can redeem that. Please hear that. So I don't want you to hear what I'm about to say as a statement of condemnation, not at all. Please don't, don't take that because God can redeem anything. But for Katie and I, I, I said, I have no intentions at all of doing this again. So we're going to figure this thing out and we're going to work through it. Whatever may come our way. But you know what will help that? By paying attention to who you allow to sow into your marriage. And so if you're allowing people to sow seeds of dissension, then guess what? Man, they all right. I kind of see that now. I kind of get what they're saying. And before you know it, you're not growing together, you're growing apart. And so it's important, don't allow these weeds come in to try to separate what God has placed together. Are you tracking with me this morning? Because here's the thing about marriage. Our marriage should reflect the Lord. Look at Ephesians 5, verse 25. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's why it's not this idea of men lording over women. Because you want to know what we're called to? Look at this, fellas. Husbands, Love your wives. You can put it back up. Love your wives. Thank you. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. So while we may say, hey, you're supposed to submit to me, then she should say, well, you're supposed to die for me. Because that is what Jesus did. That he gave himself up for her. Now, let, now. Now, ladies, where you start a riot, (laughs) this is a serving relationship is what I'm getting at. So it's this thing that goes back and forth. So here's the perspective that we should have. You should wake up every day saying, how can I serve my spouse? Can you imagine the strength, the vitality, the, the vibrancy, the excitement, the spontaneous, hello, that can be? In your marriage, if you have this idea of how can I serve her, how can I serve him? Even when you have a disagreement, I'm trying to figure out this disagreement because I want to serve you well. Keep that as the perspective. Listen, in order for us to have a marriage that reflects Jesus and his church, right? That's what our marriages should reflect. He's coming back for his bride. In order for that to happen, we must plant our lives in the same place. Otherwise, we have not become one, but we are becoming roommates. Because our lives are headed in two different directions. It's like the roommate who works the morning shift and the one who works the graveyard shift. They're just passing in the night, right? We're in this way and out the other way. No, that's not what we're becoming. Marriage isn't about becoming roommates. It's about becoming one. And so that's the question that all of us should ask. Where are we planting? Here's the next question. Will we listen before we speak? Will we listen before we speak? You know, Katie and I are so different. We grew up different. So our contexts are different, not just along, I'm black, she's white. Like, there's a whole bunch of differences within our marriage and things that we had to understand and questions that had to be asked and conversations that had to be had and conversations that we still have because we are so different. And so what happen- What that means is it's important that we work on communication because communication in a relationship is vital. And the often neglected part of communication is the part where we listen. Because oftentimes we think that communication is about us speaking, but communication is about us listening. And so th- listening is important because it helps us navigate the differences. Can you imagine, with all of our differences, if we didn't listen, how could we ever navigate those differences? So listening helps us navigate the differences. How many times do you hear a couple say, well, we're not on the same page? And one of the reasons why couples are not on the same page is because they're both trying to read what is on their page. Instead of listening to each other, listening to what the other one has to say, and not listening, building up my response, but listening to hear your heart. I mean, if, you could, if we would slow down and listen, our marriages would be more vibrant. We'd be together if we just ch- decided to listen. Because here's the thing. When you listen, you can discover parts of your spouse that you've never seen before. Like I, I, I was reading a book, and the person who wrote the book was talking about, the author of the book was talking about uh, he and his wife, and they've been married for years and he was saying how they were on a date and just listening to his wife. He had learned something about her that he had never known. And I think they had been married for like 40 years or something like that. In my mind, I'm like, 40 years? But that's what comes through the power of listening. It's a, a continue to discover your spouse. And here's, here's what we can't do. Sometimes we despise the differences. But don't despise the differences Instead, realize the differences keep you with a fresh perspective. I love the fact that Katie and I see things, perceive things different. Because as I listen to her, I gain a perspective that I don't have. And the same with her. So don't despise the differences, but realize the differences can give you a fresh perspective. Don't think your differences are going to be your downfall. Because if you navigate them right, your differences can bring you closer. And so maybe you're asking this question, well, how do I navigate the differences? The answer is learning to listen. And like real listening. Like you can, like hearing and listening are different. I'm not talking about, oh, I hear you. No, I'm saying, are you listening? And in order to listen well, you have to stop assuming. Meaning when they're speaking, you are stop. You don't know what I'm gonna say. Like you, you almost, I can finish your sentences. No, you can't. Just let me say it. <laughs> Look at Proverbs 18, too. I love this one. Fools, it's the Bible talking. Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. Let's put it in a different translation. Fools always want to run their mouth and never want to listen. <laughs> it's foolish if you only want to be heard and you never want to listen. That means listening is vital. It's important. we got to learn to listen. Why? Because listening is the vehicle that moves the relationship forward. You want your relationship to pro- progress. You want it to be healthy. Learn to listen. Communication is That's a major part of communication. And communication helps you move from chaos to clarity. If you feel like your marriage, your relationship is chaotic, there's probably a lack of communication there. It's communication that moves you from chaos to clarity. I'm going to move forward. So I want you to get all these points. I want y'all to get all these questions. You're going to get this today. How they say it, you're going to learn today. We're going to learn today. But learn to listen. In fact, before we leave this, look what James 119 says. Everyone should be quick to listen. Slow to speak. The Lord was, was working on me with that one. I remember one time in just my, my time in the morning with the Lord. And he was like, yo, sometimes you just need to stop talking. Okay. But I have a tendency that I'm just so quick to speak, so quick to say something. And not just in terms of me and Katie, just in general. I got coffee with you. I'm just quick. I want to say something. I'm just so used to speaking. But the Lord's like, learn to listen. And that's true in every facet of your life. And especially our marriage. Here's the next question that we need to ask. So, so where are we planting and are we willing to learn and listen? And here's the third question. Are we choosing God's design for sex or ours? Are we choosing God's design for sex or ours? You know, God has a lot to say about sex. And I think mentioning sex In church, people feel like, yo, that's taboo. I don't want to talk about money. I don't want to talk about sex. Don't be talking about that. (laughs) Not in church. We can talk about it everywhere else. But we're not going to talk about it in church. But it shouldn't be taboo, right? First of all, God created sex. So sex isn't dirty. Sex is actually God's design. In fact, not only was it his design, sex is a gift from God. It's a gift. But here's the thing, there's only one type of sex, there's married sex. In the Bible, there's no mention of premarital sex because that's not even a thing. So sex is a gift from God, but it's a gift with boundaries. And I know that statement is completely opposite of our culture, but just because it's opposite of culture doesn't mean that it's not true. There is, this is God's design for marriage, and, and it's a gift, but it's a gift with boundaries. So consider this. Maybe you're in Aspen, Colorado, the, the Rocky Mountains. Uh, maybe you're headed to Gatlinburg. Uh, maybe you're headed to the Appalachian Mountains. So just imagine you're traveling up a mountain. You know, the roads are are windy, and that's right. Yeah, they're, they're winding roads and twisting turns and all these things, sharp turns But to help you, there are some guardrails, right? Because it gets dark, it rains, there's fog. So there are guardrails there to help you travel up that mountain. Now, you don't get upset. I can't stand these guardrails. (laughs) Who put these guardrails here? No, you appreciate the guardrails because they help you travel up the mountain. Now, here's the thing. If there were no guardrails on those edges, could you still travel up that mountain? 100%. Yes, you could. But I'm going to say you probably shouldn't. I'm going to say it's probably going to be dangerous. And here's the thing. The guardrails, they protect you and they keep you safe. And the same is true for the life of a believer, that the word of God protects us, and it keeps us safe as we navigate life. And you realize that there's actually more freedom within the guardrails. You know why? Because without the guardrails, and it's wet, and you kind of hydroplane a little bit, guess what happened? You go off the edge of the mountain. So there's actually more freedom, more access within these guardrails. So let me just say this God's design for sex is within the confines of marriage. And in the same way that you can drive your car up a mountain without guardrails, it's the same way that you can have sex outside of marriage. You can do it, my friends, but listen, it's dangerous. And so we opened up this morning and talking about. In Genesis, talking about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And here's something to understand about the Garden of Eden. It was a beautiful place. It was a place that was a gift of, gift from God. It was vibrant. It was exciting. It was full of life. Uh, there was work. So work is not a result of sin, but it was, there was work. There was fulfillment. There was this thing where man could walk in the cool of day with God, a place where there was no shame. But yet, with all of this being true about the garden, which was a gift from God, what else was there? There was a boundary. There was a boundary that said that you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so some, we know the story that ultimately they crossed that boundary. And from the moment they crossed that boundary, they found themselves outside of the garden. So here it is. You got the garden that was a gift from God. God gave clear instructions of what not to do, but yet they crossed that boundary. And what was the question that the serpent asked Eve in that moment? Did God really say not to eat from that tree? This sounds much like culture today bringing questions to the Word of God, but even not just that questioning God's intention for our lives. So it wasn't just a question of the authority of God and the Word of God. It was a question of God's intention. I mean, really? Do, do, do you really have to wait till marriage to have sex? Is that really the way that it is? And so what happened You may say this is kind of harsh, that God kicked them out of Eden. But remember, God said everything in the garden was good. So the moment they crossed that boundary and sin entered, it was no longer good. And so they had to be outside of the place that was perfect because they were no longer perfect. And it all started with the lie. Look at John 8, 44. Are y'all with me this morning? It's tough, but i got to preach it. John 8, 44. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. This is talking about Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning. Listen to that. Not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. So he doesn't have another language. Like that's his native language is a lie. For he is a liar. He doesn't lie. He is a liar. and He's the father of lies. Listen, family, the devil can't create. He can only distort. And from the very beginning when he, he's been distorting the truth of God's word and he's doing the same thing today when it comes to God's design for family and God's design for sex. And here's what's true. He's always going to tempt you where you're vulnerable. Especially If you're single in here in the room, and even if you're not, he's going to tempt you where you're vulnerable. And as we begin to close this morning, he'll say things to you. He'll make you question into, well, before I commit to them, I need to see what it's like first. Why would you ask me to only be with one person? And I don't even know if I'm going to like it. Like there's no way I can make a commitment to just one person for the rest of my life. I I need to try it out. See what it's talking about. Okay, fine. If I don't, if I don't do this, well, then I'm just going to watch it. Because if I'm watching it, then who is it affecting? I'm, I'm, I'm just watching. I'm not actually doing anything. Help us. All lies. Help us. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. He lies to you before sex, and then he lies to you after it. He lies to you before saying all those things. You don't have to commit. You don't have to worry about this. You can try it out. Whoever, it doesn't matter. You just, you just mean it or whatever. Boom, boom, boom. And then after the sex, you're not worth anything. How could you let yourself get into that place? You should be ashamed of yourself. What, what does it matter if you're watching this? It's, it's not physical. Listen, family, sex is physical, but it's more than physical. It's also spiritual and it's also emotional. That's why it's a gift that's designed for marriage because that's part of that. That's part of the process of becoming one. And so when you allow yourself to move from person to person to person, you have allowed all these spiritual connections and emotional connections and you find yourself in a place of shame and a place of anxiety. You put your, your you've made that your identity. But can I tell you, you, your identity is, is much more than your sexuality? Because here's how God defines each and every one of us. As a son and daughter of God, so you don't need to believe the lies of the enemy, that's not the life you were called to live. That's not the person who you are. You are not your sexual identity. Hear me, you're not your sexual orientation this morning. That is not how God wants you to define your life. Ephesians 3, it says, in him, in Christ. That's where we find and place our identity. You are more than your sexuality. I want you to see that sex has purpose, but it has purpose within the context of marriage. Sex is for procreation. That's why it says be fruitful and multiply. And yes, this is one that Christians struggle with. But sex is for pleasure, for married people. Go read Song of Solomon. So if I read it right now, you'd be like, shut your mouth. we in the house of the Lord. <laughs> in fact, Paul even, he even says, listen, husbands, and wife, don't you withhold sex from each other. Right? So sex is for pleasure for husbands and wives. But sex is also for protection. Remember, the enemy is always going to tempt you where you're vulnerable. So here's why sex is for protection for a husband and wife. Because it will help you guard against temptation. Because the enemy is always going to be throwing there. You do well in that report at work. Great job, Jim. (laughs) Susan, you really rocked that presentation. What you doing for lunch? We gotta celebrate. But that's when you know, like, nah, I'm good. I'm gonna celebrate with my spouse at home later on. So sex is beautiful. But it's only beautiful within God's boundaries. So listen, I hope you all are with me. Please don't feel any condemnation. If you're like, yo, I've escaped those guardrails, don't ex- please don't feel condemnation this morning. But this is a beautiful reminder from the Lord that sex is beautiful for husbands and wives. And don't hate the guardrails, but be thankful for them. And we don't have time to get to this last question but here it is. I'll give it to you. Are you choosing conflict or combat? Conflict in marriage is OK. Conflict entered in Genesis 3:16. God says, listen, I will sharpen. The, uh, he said this to the woman. I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and in the pain you will give birth and you will desire to control your husband. But he will rule over you. What does that mean? Conflict. So conflict is going to be there. But there is a way to resolve it, to keep it from becoming combat. And here are some things that Katie and I, that we try to make sure we implement with each other. That we give each other the benefit of the doubt. That we didn't wake up saying, I'm going to make her day tough. And then we, we, we try to remind each other, don't seek to be right, but seek to understand. It's not about me being right. I want to understand your perspective because that's how we navigate those differences, by listening, not assuming. Don't seek to be heard, seek to listen. It's not about, are you hearing me? It's not about, are you hearing me? Are you listening to me? And then remember, we are on the same team. We are not on different teams. This is not Alabama and Auburn, but we we, were on the same team. Conflict that is resolved promotes growth, conflict that turns into combat is a setup for destruction. And if if you stand this morning, here's the thing I want you to get. Asking questions in your relationship doesn't question the relationship. It develops it. It brings you to a place of understanding. Amen. Did y'all get anything out of today? I hope, I, hope y'all, I hope y'all still love me. I know some things that we shared this morning was counterculture to culture. But that is what the word of God is. And it is the roadmap for how we navigate life. Will you stand this morning as we get ready to get out of here? And I'm not going to leave without giving this opportunity. We said, are you planting your life in Jesus? And so just really quickly, I know I asked you to stand up and I kind of threw everything out of water, but just really quickly with no one looking around, just close your eyes in this moment because maybe you haven't decided to plant your life in Jesus, and I don't want to leave here this morning without giving you that opportunity. And so if, you're, if you are ready to plant your life into the person of Jesus, meaning to recognize him as your Lord and Savior, I'm not going to make this moment long. But I just want to lead you in a prayer. And so if, if that's you, we just simply raise your hand where I can see it this morning. And I just want to lead you in a prayer. Amen. Amen. Is there anyone else before we pray? Amen. I see how hey, you place your hands down. So I'm going to ask all of us to say this, but especially those of you who raise your hand this morning and say, "Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Give me a brand new start. Today I'm putting my faith and trust in you." And I'm recognizing you as my Lord and Savior. You died and rose again, giving me access to eternal life. So I love you and I'm serving you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on.